Welcome to Spiritual Grit, the podcast where we talk real talk about spirituality through the lens of activism and social justice. What happens when activism and spiritual practices collide? What sparks of change call for the grit we need to create meaningful strides in social justice? I'm your host, Leslie Ann Hobayan, poet, priestess, activist, professor, hip-hop dancer, and badass mama. Join me as we dive in to learn more about our deepest selves so that we can be better ancestors to create a stellar world for our descendants. Grab your dancing shoes and let's get groovy with the grit right now. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Spiritual Grit. Welcome to the show. I hope wherever you are, you're having a fantastic day. And if you're not, hopefully listening to this podcast will brighten your day just a little bit more because I'm interested in taking a deep dive into our spirituality or spiritual practices, raising some questions and how we can bring that to our physical presence on this earth, something that a lot of spiritual teachings overlook will say. So before we start, because I have a special subject in mind I'd like to address, um, we will turn to Hafez, the great Sufi mystic poet, and see what oracle poem will come forward. Oh, today the poem is called Trying to Wear Pants. You are a royal fish trying to wear pants in a country as foreign as land. Now there is a problem worth discussing. Your separation from God has ripened. Now fall like a golden fruit into my hand. All your wounds from craving love exist because of heroic deeds. Now trade in those medals. That courage will help this world. One needs to love those they have yet to love to stand near the friend. Why be a royal fish trying to wear pants? Hafez, what are you talking about? Has something happened to your once brilliant mind? <laughs> I love how Hafez talks about himself in these poems, um, because of course he's talking not just to himself, but he's taking on our voices and talking to him because I think he has a feeling that we think he's crazy, but really he's just trying to teach us that the divine is crazy about us. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I just like flipping that a little bit. Um, but trying to wear pants if you're a royal fish, right? Uh, it's so funny that this poem comes forward because I'm thinking about my particular topic for today and how um, some folks are trying to be who they're not. I mean, most of us are trying to be someone we're not. And when I say that, I mean, we often try to shape ourselves into something that meets someone else's expectation. We sometimes forget who we truly are at our innermost selves and try to perform a role to satisfy someone else's needs, someone's expectations, society's expectations. You know, how many of us are working jobs that we don't like, but we're working it because we need to make money, we need to pay the bills, we need to survive, you know, that whole mentality. Um, and so what Hafez is saying in this poem is like, you know, we're all just trying to wear pants, but really we're fish, so we should be swimming. <laughs> so ask yourself, what are the pants you're trying to put on? And can you just say, no pants, 
I'm a fish. I'm just going to swim. What is your swimming path? What is your calling in life? You know, I'm reading um, right now, The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And um, it's an amazing book. And a lot of people have referenced it, have talked about it um, in all sorts of spaces, whether it's the spiritual space, the entrepreneurial space. Um, I've heard it in so many different contexts. And I finally was like, okay, I have to read this book because I know when people talk about a book in excerpt form, you tend to lose the whole context of it. And so um, um, I think I'm on like chapter four or something, and I'm already seeing that when the entrepreneurial world quotes Gay Hendricks and The Big Leap, they leave out some stuff. And so the context in which they are sharing it is lost. Um, you know, I'm like, oh, okay, now I see the big picture. So I highly recommend that book for any of you who are interested in taking the leap into being your full self. He talks about the four zones. And we've got the zone of incompetence, the zone of competence, the zone of excellence, and the zone of genius. And the big leap he refers to in the title of the book is this leap into living from your zone of genius. Now, your zone of genius, a lot of people think they don't know what that is, but deep down we do. It's just we've allowed ourselves to be conditioned and programmed by external forces, by society and, you know, expectations of the people in our lives, whether it's family or, um, you know, people we're in relationship with. And um, the zone of genius is the thing that you love to do. When you do it, time seems to stretch or stand still or flow. It seems like there's an abundance of time. It's easy. You love it. You get lost in it. Um, and so what is that thing? And so he, he makes the, um, you know, he distinguishes all of the different zones. Um, and I'm not going to summarize the book for you. I mean, I haven't read all of it. Uh, but just to kind of give you an overview, um, the zone of incompetence is, is kind of obvious. It's the tasks that you're just really not great at. You know, people make the mistake of focusing on their weaknesses and try to strengthen them instead of focusing on strengthening their strengths. And so the zone of incompetence speaks to that where why try to focus on something that you're weak in when you can just amplify your strengths. So stay out of the zone of incompetence. Don't try to like do tech stuff if you're really bad at it. For example, hire somebody to do that or ask a friend who's really, that's their zone of genius, right? Um, the zone of competence is obvious. It's the things you can do. Um, it's if you are, let's say, a mom like me, and <laughs> like me, you're strapped for time, and you have kids like me who are old enough to be in the kitchen, and you'd like a little more time to take care of some of these other tasks, you don't have to make dinner because you're competent in making dinner. You know how to do it. You do it yourself. Great. But if freeing up that time allows you to step into your zone of genius, then you can ask your kids, hey, can you make dinner tonight? Because they are competent enough to do it as well. Um, so the zone of competence is like, yeah, you can do it. But is that where your attention is best utilized? Is that where your time is best utilized? Probably not. Um, and then there's the zone of excellence, which is usually the zone of the, the skills that you've developed through the education system. So like, let's say you majored in English, like me, 
I'll just use myself as an example. Um, and you know how to analyze literature and you know how to write critical papers about literature. And you're really good at it because you've been trained to be so good at it. So, you know, you, you went through to school for it. You've practiced it in your job. Um, but it doesn't bring you joy. It's just something you do well, right? And time is still crunched. You know, it's like, oh, I have all these reports to do, or I'll have all these papers. We'll just say all these pieces of literature, all these critical papers I have to write, you know, and if I write those things, it doesn't feel easy. I mean, I do it, I do it well. Um, but that's not my zone of genius. That is a zone of excellence and that's fine, but it's not really my life's purpose. So Gay Hendricks is inviting us to take the leap, the big leap into the zone of genius, which is often scary because it's not necessarily supported by society. Society has become this, um, cog for manufacturing roles for people. And a lot of them are sameness. So it's like, okay, everyone, I believe, is a very unique and specific individual with very unique, specific gifts and things that they're called to offer to the collective, to the rest of us. Um, but with our culture and society and how it's structured, it's everyone has to be the same. And if you want to be safe, you want to be the same. So you don't want to stick out. You know, you don't want to do. So it's it's a little bit it's a little bit scary to just like take that leap into like your zone of genius. Like, Oh, I want to be a poet, but you know, our culture doesn't support that economically. You know, um, nobody really cares about poetry. It feels like an invisible art, even though it is so essential to our human, um, development our human expression. It's, a reflection of who we are at this mo moment in time, how we're being. Um, but here in the United States, it's not, it's not well valued. Unlike some other countries, which I know, um, you know, poetry is like a big deal. And, and I daydream sometimes about like, what would it be like to live in a country where poetry is celebrated and being a poet was like a big deal. And people were like, so appreciative of the work that you did, much like, you know, an artist, uh, a visual artist who, you know, creates these magnificent paintings and puts them on display in a gallery. Um, you know, what would that be like? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't lived for a significant period of time outside of the United States, so I have no idea. But it would, I'm sure it would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, so so taking that leap into zone of genius where like that's the only thing that you do is be a poet, that's kind of scary. Um, there's no safety net, right? I mean, and we all like ego, we all have an ego and our egos want us to be safe. And that safety looks very material. It's rooted in money. It's rooted in a roof over your head. It's rooted in can I provide for my loved ones, my family? Um, so... That is sort of what I'm getting at with um, this, this topic I want to address. So <laughs> about looking at people who are wearing pants, I guess, <laughs> when, when they need to be swimming in the water <laughs> and they preach about it um, when they have no idea, they, they don't know anything about what it is that they're talking about. So, um, so I will just preempt 
this by saying this is a criticism uh, about the Catholic Church, and at least the Catholic Church um, of which I am familiar. Uh, There are so many issues with the Catholic Church that a lot of people know about, are familiar with. I mean, we've got a lot of stories of abuse. We've got um, all kinds of things like misappropriation or misuse of financial, you know, funds and all kinds of things where so many times I've asked myself, why am I still a practicing Catholic? Um, Because the institution itself seems to have strayed very far from the main crux of the religion, which is Jesus, Jesus Christ's message of love, right? And inclusion, um, forgiveness. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can make my own version of Catholicism. Maybe I can practice my own version of Catholicism, you know, quietly in my own way, that kind of thing. And and it'll be fine. Um, and then there have been, you know, moments in uh, a church that I belong to, which I will probably not belong to now <laughs> after this, um, where I'm just like, okay, I noticed this. I disagree with it. Let me take it up with leadership and see what happens. So recently, I want to say um, last weekend from this, the time of this recording, uh, I had done virtual mass because I, I still am feeling reluctant to be in person at, in certain spaces, um, with mass at this particular church, I don't see a whole lot of mask wearing and I am not interested in taking any chances with my health. Um, by being around folks who are not putting their mask on, um, vaccinated or not, I don't care. We're indoors, put a mask on and protect the people around you. The mask is not for you. It is to keep others safe from whatever you might be exhaling. So if only people would understand that concept, <laughs> then then maybe we'd be in better shape. I don't know. Um, but this does speak to uh, people's compassion for others or their lack of or concern or care for others, um, which makes me sad. So I don't generally go to mass in person. Um, so I've been I've been attending virtually live streamed and so this, this last weekend, there was, there's a new priest at the church and he's a young guy. Um, seems, seems nice. I haven't met him in person, but you know, it, it's just another white guy I see in the traditional garments, um, doing the mass, you know, giving the mass. And he gave this homily that was really unbelievable to the point where my nervous system was activated and I could just feel rage rolling through me. And I was like, 
I can't believe I'm listening to this. So this person, this priest homily um, sounded straight out of the 1950s, you know, all fire and brimstone saying marriage is only between a man and a woman and you are, the divorce is a sin, being gay is a sin, contraceptions are a sin. It was just like he had to hit all the points, right, into one homily, first of all. From a from a the the standpoint of a writing teacher, when you are doing any kind of public speaking, you know if you are presenting an idea or a concept or whatever, you don't jam in every single controversial political point in it, hoping to what to to make contact to like get through to people. Like I don't understand what I don't know. Anyway. So he makes every possible um, declaration of old school Catholicism where everything is wrong. Only a man and woman can be married. And if it's an abusive marriage and you want a divorce, sorry, can't do that. You stick it out. And I'm thinking to myself, um, have you ever been in a marriage? Have you been in a relationship with anybody, like an intimate romantic relationship with anybody? You're a priest, a Catholic priest. So the answer is no. I mean, maybe you had one before you went to seminary school. I don't know, but you've never been married and you don't know what it's like to be in that kind of situation. So for you to preach and dictate your personal political views on marriage feels laughable. Um, and then to continue on about how in the Bible it says that homosexuality is wrong. And I'm like, no, that is incorrect. That is a translation from the Aramaic. And translations often are human interpretations of the original text. So if you do a search for the original text and ask for various translations, you will see that the Bible does not say that. I'll have to look it up. I will provide that resource in the show notes. Um, and you can see. Humans are fallible. Humans are flawed. I understand this. We also have to understand that there is nuance. There's no black and white. There's no, like, this is the one way or the highway. That kind of draconian thinking and preaching is dangerous. And I was so incensed by this particular um, homily and what this particular priest was preaching that I reached out to the pastor of the church and expressed my um, offense to that. Um, it's one thing, you know, it's one thing to, to have your political views. And I understand what the, what the Catholic teachings are from back in like, you know, olden times, as my kids like to say, <laughs> but we are now in the 21st century and it is time long overdue for um, the Catholic church to evolve with the times. Um, interpretation of any text, Bible or not, any text Interpretation evolves. It changes with the people who are changing. We are constantly changing as individuals. I tell my writing students all the time, my poetry students all the time, you can read a poem today and hate it and be like, oh, this poem's so dumb. I don't like it. I don't understand it. Blah, 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 blah. 
right? You can read that same poem a year from now and think it is the best thing since sliced bread. Oh my God, this poem is amazing. I can't believe I hated this poem before. I don't understand it, blah, blah, blah. Because you are a different person. We are constantly experiencing life every moment. Every breath is a new experience that shifts and change and informs who we are, who we are being. And who we are being informs how we read texts. So if you're reading the Bible, for example, and you've got like one verse that you look at, you're like, yeah, okay, the mustard seed parable. I've read that so many times. I've heard it, blah, blah, blah. You know, you might just like wave it away. But if you stop and tune into where you are in that moment in your life, maybe you're going through a dark time, a really hard time, a time of grief or loss, big shifts, big breaks, something. And you go to that mustard seed parable, you will be like, oh my God, this is what I need. I had never seen this parable this way before. Like my faith is so decimated right now because of all the shit that's coming down on me. But if I just have this little bit of faith, this parable is telling me that I will be okay. Now, that is evolution. That is adapting to what is happening in the moment. And so the problem with the Catholic Church is they are so stuck in place. They are unmoving as an institution. They have a disregard for anybody outside of the circle. And they, they pander. And I'm not saying all Catholics. Of course not. I'm saying specifically the American Roman Catholic Church has not evolved, has not adapted. Now, maybe there are some progressive Catholic churches around that I don't know about. And if you guys know of any, please send them my way because I am looking for a progressive church that understands the teachings of Jesus and how they apply to today. The teachings of compassion, of love and understanding without judgment. Who are we to judge? And this is the thing that, that gets me. It's like one of his main teachings, one of Jesus' main teachings is like, the father's the one who's going to be judging your butts. So why are you even pretending right now? For real. Like, I don't understand. Like, you're pretending like you're going to be judged? No, divorce is wrong. Being gay is wrong. That's a judgment. And you're not God. So why don't you just sit your butt down? <laughs> I crack myself up sometimes. Um so yeah, so this this homily had me incensed like you wouldn't even believe. So I was like, you know, I've been part of this church for some years. And the pastor, you know, I I'm familiar with, well, he, you know, he knows he knows who I am. We'll just say that. And um our relationship over time has not been great because I've been critical of some things. Um, and he chooses to opt out, to bypass. And so when I considered emailing him about this, this priest's homily, I was like, do I even bother? Why should I bother? Because it's not going to do anything. He's just going to wave me off and like pretend he doesn't even get an email from me because that's the kind of person he is. 
And so um, I said, man, maybe I won't, I won't email it. But then I was like, no, then that makes me complicit. Being silent and not saying anything about how damaging that message was makes me complicit in whatever harm uh, might happen. Because could you imagine, so this, this, this mass is both happening in church and live on YouTube, right? Now, could you imagine some young person who is uncertain about their sexual gender identity suddenly comes across this homily and says being gay is wrong. Now, you know, young people, like they're looking for guidance. They're looking for, for something because it's such a uncertain time to be trying to find your identity. And so you look to the adults, supposed adults, for some cues, for some, some guidance, some knowledge, something, right? And so for a young person to, to come across this, I can only imagine what kind of damage that homily may have caused. You know, um, I think about how in this particular community, there have been young deaths. Um, high school kids have died. Uh, my kids used to go to the, the Catholic school there and there would be funerals at three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm like, what? And then I would see a bunch of young people wearing black walking into the church. And I'd be like, what's going on? And I would find out later that there was a funeral for a high school kid. Sometimes it was a kid who overdosed on drugs. Sometimes it was a kid that committed suicide, but I had never been like, like, I just didn't know that that was something that happened. And I don't know if that happens in other communities. Um, I haven't asked, but I just find it interesting that in this particular community that's happening. And now, you know, this priest is, is spewing all of this, this draconian, you know, law, you know, um, without regard for what kind of damage it might cause to a young person who is vulnerable, who is feeling uncertain, who is confused, you know, like you don't tell a confused teenager that if they're, if they're thinking about being gay, that that's wrong. I mean, that's, that's sort of like what got us in trouble in the first place and why so many people are, are messed up in the head, like adults now. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It just, oh, the idea of it just really, um, really gets to me. And I just hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that there are no young people who saw the homily. And if they did, that they have good support around them, um, you know, and that they know better than to listen to that, that garbage. So anyway, um, so yeah, so I ended up emailing the pastor because I am not going to be complicit by staying silent. So I emailed him and I told him very, you know, just kind of straight shot. You know, I didn't explain, I didn't get into it. I just said, listen, that email, that email, that homily was offensive and insensitive. And it sounded like it was all fire and brimstone straight out of the 1950s. Um, this doesn't feel like the direction in which you want to take this parish, but um, I thought you should know and et cetera, et cetera, whatever. I said something like, if you want to discuss this further, I'd be happy to. And then I signed off. The next day he wrote back one sentence. May I, it doesn't even address it to me. It's just one sentence. May I ask that you 
address your concerns with father so-and-so. And I was like, oh, I see. We're going to opt out once again of our responsibility as leader of this church community. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I'm not surprised, but I'm also super disappointed um, because that homily was so alienating. And now here, this pastor is further alienating me as a parishioner and my family um, by, by opting out, by passing the buck. I am not interested in talking to this priest about his personal political views. He can, he can, you know, have whatever view he wants. The concern is that you are taking a public platform and spreading a message of exclusion, a message of you don't matter and you don't count unless you follow rules X, Y, Z. And to be honest, like who fits in those rules of X, Y, Z? I mean, he just went on. He had a whole list of things. And I was like, oh my God, no one's going to be left standing. And then for it to come from somebody who knows nothing about what it's like to be a woman, nothing about what it's like to be in a committed relationship. I mean, I don't know anything about his um, sexual curiosities, you know, or if he had any inquiries or uncertainties about his gender identity. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some psychologists might say that because he's laying down this law, <laughs> that maybe he's trying to overcompensate for his own shortcomings, for his own curiosities about gender identity, you know, but I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> so I'm not going to go there. Just throwing that out there. It's a possibility. Um, so yeah, so it's just been interesting to see how this, how this matter is being handled. And it it's, it's, a reason for most folks to say, you know, to hell with the Catholic church. You wonder why people are leaving the church. This is why. The, the, the direction of the church is so far away from Jesus's message, you know? And, you know, what's funny is that this podcast is not a, about Christianity. This podcast is not a Christian podcast. No, this is a spirituality centered podcast. And part of that for me is talking about Jesus and his teachings because he was the dude that demonstrated unconditional love. He's the guy that's like, open up your heart and your homes to your enemies. Like, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, you know, like. It's just so amazing to me to see how far man, and I'm going to go there, we'll say the cis white man, how far they have traveled away from Jesus's main message, from the essence and the emotion and the core of his teachings. And to handle any kind of confrontation. I don't even want to say that my, my emails were not confrontational. It was more a, a calling in for responsibility, like take responsibility for this priest who is in your community and do something about it. Don't, you know, make that my job. It's not my job. 
I'm not doing the emotional labor that you should be doing. I'm just so mad thinking about it. I'm like, oh, he just, oh. So yeah, so I am not going to email the priest who has created that offense. Um, my responsibility is to just say, hey, this is what's happening in the community. This is, as a community member, this is how I received that priest's message. Are you going to do something about it or not? And if you're not, then I'm out. And if you don't care about that, then you got bigger problems about what you're doing with this church community. Because all of you can just like congratulate yourself. Like, I, I really don't understand it. I don't. I really don't. I mean, I do. <laughs> That's just the easy answer. The I don't. Um, I do. I mean, it's a lot of it is ego. A lot of it is is struggling for a sense of safety and security. You know, uh, uh, but if we have rules without nuance, then that feels very tangible, very solid, very black and white. No one can interrupt that. Because if you disrupt what I'm putting down as law, then chaos will ensue. And then I don't know who I am. And so when I look at it that way, I feel bad for them, but I will not stand for this perpetuation of damaging messages. You know, it's just so, I can't even. You know, I mean, I know it's not unique. It's not a unique occurrence. And that's the sad part. Uh, I can't change the world, but I can disrupt whatever is happening in my local community and say, hey, this is what's happening. And if I'm the lone voice speaking up, that's okay. At least somebody is. We need to disrupt the structures that are in place. We need to disrupt white supremacy. We need to disrupt these, these systems that prevent people from growing and evolving into their individual divine selves. Everyone's called to a specific life purpose, and we can't get to that if we're trying to follow somebody else's rules of who to be and how to be. So if you got that kind of situation happening around you, ask yourself, is this person really looking out for my highest good, for my best interest? If not, say bye-bye and trust that when you say bye-bye to whoever it is, that the space you create will then attract the people who will support you, who will guide you, who will uplift you, who will inspire you who will not keep you down, but instead lift you up. So that's what I'm hoping is going to happen with me. <laughs> I'm just going to reply to the pastor um, and call him out on passing the buck and saying that is not acceptable. Um, I don't know how far I will take this battle, but um, it, we'll see how it goes because I don't want to use my limited resource of time in ways that do not serve, you know, cause I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get down and get petty. No, that's not my way. I will bring it to their attention 
I will say, hey, this is what's going on. This is harmful. If you want to do something about it, great. If not, I'm not going to fight you on it because I'm a little person and you are the one in leadership. So I will exit and find another church. You know, I have a friend who is a priest in an Episcopalian church and she, yes, she is totally amazing. Um, And we had a conversation about this and she was really beside herself (laughs) when she heard the homily. Um, But it just goes to show that there are people out there who are staying true to Jesus's message. And unfortunately, it's not in the Catholic Church. So at least not in the one that I'm part of. So we'll see what happens. But I bring this to you because I want you to really inquire about your own religious practices, your own spiritual beliefs. Where did they come from? And do they resonate with you? Do they serve you? Do they serve your highest good? Do they fulfill you, lift you up, you know, make you feel full of love? Or do they make you contract? Do they make you feel small? Do you feel boxed in? You know, because if it's the latter, maybe that's not such a good place to be. You know, you are in charge of your spiritual growth. You're in charge of your evolution. Don't forget that. That power that you have is so amazing. We can choose who we are being every moment of the day. And it's okay if you change your mind. You know, like maybe today you're like, oh, I'm cool with the Catholic Church. I'm fine. It's all good for me. But then tomorrow something happens. Then ask yourself, are you still fine with it? You can always change your mind and come back, you know? Who knows? I mean, for me, maybe if things change over that particular church, maybe I'll go back. Maybe if it's a different pastor, different staff, whatever it is. But right now, in this moment, in this now moment, and this is where we need to focus is the now moment. That church does not serve my highest good. It doesn't serve love. It doesn't serve Jesus. As much as they say they do, it doesn't, not with that kind of messaging. So it's important for us to keep asking questions because we are constantly evolving, as I said before. We are constantly changing. Our experiences help us see things more clearly. Every moment clarifies our path. Every step forward gives us new information that we can use to make better choices, to get clear on who we are. So who are you? How are you being? And is it in integrity? So thinking about your religious practices, if you have any, I mean, some people are spiritual without a religion and that's cool too. So think about your spiritual practices. Do you meditate because some big so-called guru said, hey, you need to do it every day for 30 minutes if you want to achieve enlightenment, you know, and you're like, okay, cool, I'll do that. And then you do it and you're like, meh, that's okay, but I'm not really flowing. Discern between are you doing it because that's what your teacher asked you to do or are you doing it because and resisting it because there's something juicy in there. (laughs) That's the word that came to mind. (laughs) You know, if we take the example of meditating for 30 minutes and some some guru tells you to do that and you do it, right? Are you doing it to please the guru? Are you doing it to get curious about who you are and who you're being? And 
Notice how your body feels when you do it. Does it feel small? Does it feel contracted? Or does it feel like resistance feels like different things sometimes, but if, if it's resistance in meditation where you're fidgety and you're like, I don't want to do this or, you know, and you don't feel contracted, you just feel kind of restless. That's an indication that you're on to a breakthrough of some kind. So to keep going, but it's so important for us to, to practice discernment, to really come to the body, to find that anchor in discernment. So good. Oh, shoo, man. That's yeah. So that is my, um, (laughs) that is my story and I'm sticking to it. No, that is, that is my take on thinking about religion and doctrine and how it may or may not serve our highest good. And how it's important for us to be critical, to ask questions, to be curious and inquisitive so that we might evolve. All right, my friends, I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Uh, So to close our episode, I want to read a poem from my favorite anthology, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Faith and Spirit. So as I flip through, I'm just going to flip through the book like I, like I did with the Hafez book. We'll see what happens. Okay. So this is by Joseph Legaspi, one of my favorite people. (laughs) He's so amazing. Uh, This poem is called Easter Bonifacio High Street. And there's a little epigraph. A mixed-use development, huge shopping mall in Bonifacio, Global City, Metro Manila. Between the coffee bean and tea leaf and the body shop, a station of the cross. On a trodden lawn browning into desert, two lines are formed for shoppers to be Christ-like. Christ light puns the Pinoy. The devout come forward to suffer, put their suffering on display. They'd strap a stretch of varnished four-by-four across their shoulders, ropes tied around their wingspan arms, the weight of sins redeemed by Jesus on his march to Calvary. Assisted by the fine volunteers of the Church of Christ, wearing designer t-shirts, the aspiring saviors lumber toward salvation. As with a slender petite woman handing over her coach purse to her surly boyfriend while she is yoked like a carabao, the Philippine national animal of heroic industrious tolerance. The carriers circle each other around the astroturf like sushi on a conveyor belt. And nearby, down the square, a full cross is offered. Ideal for groups, its holy length delivers camaraderie. Friends, family, frenemies, lift in harmony, wholesale redemption. They pause, pose for pictures, their selfie sticks a mirroring sky. To reenact is to worship in the highest form. Jesus stumbled, his sinners lifted him up. 
Witness an elder harness the giant cross at its crossing while a child carries the tail end. At the crown, a tall youth can't part with his shopping bag, so on both shoulders he slings. The Abercrombie and Fitch models brandishing their pictorials. Godly. <laughs> oh my god, Joseph, I love this poem. <laughs> um yes 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 so so interesting that this poem comes forward um when this episode is talking about the catholic church (laughs) i love it i love it um and that juxtaposition of consumerism and capitalism against catholicism religion and the practices that we engage with um so apropos i mean honestly I love it when the divine comes through and guides me this way. Love it. Love it so much. Um, and that final image, I can <laughs> the shining pictorials, godly. Love it. Okay. All right, my friends. So thank you so much for listening. And as always, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste, my friends, and get groovy with the grit. If you're feeling like fighting the good fight is bringing you down and hope is starting to fade, grab my free seven-day meditative challenge, Spark Joy in Chaos. By signing up for my newsletter, which will be more light to your inbox, go to suryagiyan.com slash subscribe.